to uh, suggest that maybe you should answer the phone because it might have been the Lord. He, <laughs> he might have had a message for us. We missed it. Oh, well, maybe later. You let us know. Another thing that's music to uh, parents' ears is hearing obey the first time. It's almost like they'd heard that one before. Um, I think that's also music to the Lord's ears, isn't it? Obey the first time. And we're adults, and we still struggle with that, don't we? But the Lord is so merciful and so patient with us, and I'm thankful for that today. But I pray that this morning we would learn uh, just a little bit more of how important that first-time obedience is and how far it can go. Would you bow with me once more? Father in heaven, thank you for all of the lessons here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who applies it to our hearts and brings conviction and helps us to show the path you have for us. I pray, Lord, that through this you would speak to each one of us, speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours and speak to each heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our school history books inform us that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb in the year 1879. However, Edison actually worked on refining his invention for many years, and it took him hundreds upon hundreds of attempts and failures to finally get it just right. The end result being in a light bulb that could burn for many, many hours. Having achieved his goal, he then set about the task of manufacturing light bulbs for sale. But since there was no such thing as mass production at the time, each bulb had to be made by hand, and it took his whole team 24 hours straight of meticulous, painstaking work to produce just one light bulb. James Newton tells a story about a time when Edison's team had just completed the fabrication of one of these precious light bulbs. Edison himself carefully handed it to a young boy who was helping in the laboratory that day, to carry it up the stairs to another part of the facility. Needless to say, each bulb was precious, and the boy knew it. And so, step by step, he cautiously, ever so carefully watched his hands, frightened at the thought of dropping such a priceless piece of work. You can probably guess what happened next. The boy was concentrating so hard on the light bulb in his hands that as he went up the stairs, his foot caught the top step. He tripped. The light bulb sailed through the air gracefully before smashing, shattering into a thousand pieces across the floor. The boy was devastated. The team was angry, to put it mildly. But without so much as a harsh word, Edison had them all get right back to work. And 24 hours of meticulous, painstaking labor later, another light bulb was finally finished. Exhausted from so much work and ready for a break, Edison was ready to have his light bulb carried once more up the stairs. Now, you might think that after the last incident or disaster, he wouldn't trust anyone but himself to carry that light bulb up the stairs. But what did Edison do? You've probably already guessed this as well. There, sitting slumped down, dejected in the corner, was the young lad who had dropped the bulb. Motioning for him to come over, and without any hesitation, Edison once again handed the precious light bulb to the boy. A second chance. 
Can you think of a time in your life where you were given a second chance? Can you think of a time where you just, you just blew it? You really, really messed up. Perhaps a time where someone was really counting on you, something important, and, and you just dropped the ball. But then, though you didn't deserve it, they gave you another chance. They gave you another opportunity. Now, it may not have been such a costly or devastating mistake as that young boy's was, but maybe it was. Maybe it was worse. And you were given another opportunity. Perhaps you're like me, and you have a hard time narrowing it down to just one incident, because you have so many. But whatever the case is, we've all had times in our life where we were given another chance. But how much more isn't this true when we move from the realm of the physical into the realm of the spiritual? For if being brutally honest, we must admit that we haven't only tripped up with sin once or twice in our lives. No, we have tripped up so many times, a number so great, that God alone only truly knows the extent of it. When we go into the thoughts the, the sins we can, we can do in our, in our very minds, the sins that we're not even aware of, sins of omission, the number would be so spectacular, the filing cabinet so large, we couldn't even, I don't think, quantify the number. God alone knows the full extent. And this is why I am so, so glad that the God we worship, the one we've been worshiping here this morning, is not only the God of the second chance, So often we hear God is the God of the second chance. But if that alone were true, how many of us would make it? How many of us would make it with only being given one more opportunity? I would have blown it 30 years ago if I were only given one second chance. And I am so thankful he's not just the God of the second chance. He is the God of redeeming grace. And this is something so much greater and so much more powerful than simply being given another opportunity. Psalm 86 verse 15 says it well. But you, O Lord, are a merciful God, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions, for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. You know, the Bible is full of examples of people who were recipients of God's redeeming grace. We can go all the way back in Genesis, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samson, David, and Jonah, as we saw this morning, just to name a few. Not to mention the entire nation of Israel as a whole, How many times did they sin against the Lord, and how many times did the Lord continuously give them his redeeming grace and giving them more and more opportunities? As Psalm 130, verses 3 to 4 state, our call to worship this morning. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Today we're going to focus in on one of the most famous recipients of the Lord Jesus' redeeming grace, and that is Simon Peter. We all know the story well. We go back to the night of Jesus' betrayal. Jesus had foretold that day that before the rooster crowed twice, Peter would deny him three times. 
To which Peter replied emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But that's exactly what Peter did, isn't it? For only a few hours after this great proclamation, dedication, I will go with you to the death, Jesus. A servant girl, a fire, pressure, and twice Peter denied being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then the third time, Mark 14, verses 71 tells us, he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Talk about dropping the ball. Talk about blowing it big time. I can't think of a bigger example of of someone's failure. Here, Peter, bold Peter, brash Peter, passionate, courageous Peter, who has made this declaration, I will die with you, Jesus, the very same day he disowns his Lord. And not only does he disown him, he calls down curses from heaven saying, I didn't even know the man. He dropped the ball. How could Peter ever come back from this? And we see that he goes out and weeps bitterly. When it says he goes out and weeps bitterly, this isn't just him going out to have a good cry and shake it off. No, this was an anguish that tormented him to the very depths of his soul. He had denied knowing the Son of God, the one he had just sworn that he would never disown. And it's possible that in that moment, Peter also recalled Jesus' words recorded in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, where Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. These are powerful, poignant words. And Peter has done exactly what Jesus warned against. He denied him. And according to Jesus' own words, therefore he would be denied before the Father in heaven. How could Peter come back from this? I want you to turn with me now in your Bibles, if you have them this morning, turn with me to our scripture reading from John chapter 21. And as you turn there, let me set the scene for this story. You'll recall from previous weeks that Jesus has already appeared to his disciples on two previous occasions. The first time he appeared to them in the locked room where they were, you'll recall, hiding away in fear of the Jews. They're afraid the Jews are going to come and get them too. The second time he appeared to them was what we looked at last week when Thomas was also present and Jesus told him to touch his scars, feel the wound in his side, and then he admonished him, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. So at this point, it's clear that of all of the 11 remaining disciples, they are fully convinced, they are persuaded that Jesus is really and truly alive. It's beyond a shadow of a doubt, they believe. But while they're obviously excited about this fact, we'll see in this account that Peter clearly has his doubts as to whether or not Jesus would want him back. John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now what a picture we have here. Here we see the very same man who Jesus had called away from their nets with the invitation, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? They've they've been given a different occupation, a different calling. It still involved fishing, but this time the fish were different. Not swimmy, slithery fish, but the kind of fish that Jesus referred to were the souls of men. And so they've been called away from it, but now here we see that they've gone back to plain old fishing for fish. And might I add, failing miserably. Can anyone identify with that? (laughs) I sure can. But who was the ringleader of this fishing expedition? Simon Peter. Always Simon Peter, the natural leader of the group. He's sitting around twiddling his thumbs and he says, I'm going fishing. And the other guys say, Peter, if you're going, we'll go with you. He clearly thinks, or at least is suspicious of the reality, that his days following Jesus are most likely finished. And so he figures there's no point sitting around twiddling my thumbs. May as well get back to the family business. And I believe that in Peter's mind, always lurking in the background, was his utter failure when he had denied Jesus when he needed him the most. They were just too big for him to come back from. They weighed down his soul like an anchor. Let me ask you today. Like Peter, have you ever been haunted by a past failure? Have you ever had one of those mistakes that didn't just go away? You couldn't just shrug it off. It, it, was, just, it was just there. And yeah, maybe you moved on in some way, but it was always in the back of your mind. And maybe... Like an anchor, it kept you from from stepping into something in the future because it was always there. I failed then. What's going to stop me from failing again? Have you ever had a mistake like that? Perhaps maybe today it's still there. And you feel that Jesus would never want you back. That what you've done has somehow disqualified you from his service. And yeah, you can still accept, yeah, I'm saved, I'm his child, but serving him, I've, I've just blown it. I could never follow him the same way as I did before. Perhaps you've once received a very clear call from Jesus to serve him in a specific way, in a specific ministry. But because of this failure, because of what's happened, because of whatever's gone on, now you've gone back to the fishing nets of whatever you were doing before. If so, I want you to know that the story doesn't have to end there. Because Jesus is not just the Lord of the second chance. He is the Lord of redeeming grace, as we shall soon see. For in the early dawn, Jesus appears on the shore. And though the disciples did not immediately recognize him, he calls out to them, Friends, have you any fish? I love that question. Have you ever gone to the shore where there's fishermen? You ever done this before? If you really want to get under their skin, just ask them this question. Caught anything? (laughs) Right? 
Have, has, have any of you done this before? Have any of you been fishing and had someone come up and ask you that question? You haven't caught a thing? You've been there for hours, caught anything? Right? That's how the disciples are feeling right now. Caught anything? Well, they reply, nope. Fishing all night, haven't caught a thing. And then this stranger from the shore just calls out with some advice. Isn't that the next best thing? Caught anything? Nope. Well, have you tried the other lure? Yeah, thanks for the tip, buddy. Right? But that's exactly what Jesus does. Comes out, caught anything? Nope. Cast your nets on the other side. Amazingly, we don't have any record of them saying, mind your own business. Hey, we don't see you out here. They, none of that. Amazingly, they figure probably, I'm guessing between them, they say, what do we have to lose? So they haul up their nets. They bring them over to the other side of the boat. They, they toss it in, and it says immediately. They catch such a great haul of fish, they can barely, they can barely hold them all. They, they haul them up into, into the boat. We're given little detail later on that people have argued over the meaning of for, for many, many generations. I'm not going to get into it, but they counted the fish. And there's 153 fish in all. And suddenly, I, I, I'm thinking somewhere in this, as they're, as they're counting these fish, they're hauling them in, the boat's full. John is sitting there, and he's having this deja vu moment. He's like, this has happened before. Wait a second. And suddenly, it, it dawns upon John, this isn't just a stranger on the shore. This is the Lord. This is Jesus. And he turns, and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter, he's so overcome in this moment by excitement, he realizes it's Jesus, classic Peter, he dives in headfirst, and this time he swims to shore. He doesn't walk, he swims to shore. He's so excited that it's the Lord, and there they find Jesus is waiting for them. He has a fire, he has a breakfast, all prepared. They eat breakfast together. Then following breakfast, it's clear that Jesus has business to attend to with Peter. We don't know exactly how it played out, but I can imagine the other disciples knowing what's gone on. Peter, of course, knows what's gone on. He knows the unspoken barrier between he and the Lord. His denial is hanging there in the balance. And Jesus sets the stage. Three denials, and now three questions of Peter's love and devotion. A charcoal fire in the servant's area of the high priest is where the first denials took place. And here, John gives us the little detail, detail that here it's a charcoal fire on the seashore. Did you know that these two occurrences are the only two mentions of a charcoal fire in the entirety of Scripture? It's not a coincidence. He is drawing a direct parallel between the two events. Do you think that Jesus might have been making a point? He's setting the stage once more. He's brought Peter right back to the setting of his denial, around a fire. In verse 15 we read, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. This pattern repeats itself twice more. And notice that each time that Peter affirms his love, Jesus challenges him to serve. You see, true love for Christ not only speaks, true love serves. 
The message to Peter is unmistakable. Not only do I forgive you, Jesus is saying, but I have important work for you to do. This this isn't just about me forgiving you so the anchor can be removed. This is me forgiving and restoring you so that you can move ahead into the mission, the grand purpose that I've laid out for your life. Yes, you dropped that light bulb. But here it is again. I'm holding it out to you once more. Pick it up, take it, and follow me. And Peter did just that. Receiving Jesus' forgiveness He carried that light forward and fed Jesus' sheep, becoming the leader of the early church. This time filled not with false bravado, but with true courage given by the Holy Spirit. His preaching on Pentecost sparked the church. His life and his teaching have carried forward to us to this very day. And Peter's story shows us that no matter how bad our failure or how deep our sin Because of the Lord's redeeming grace, there is a way for us to return to him, to be restored, and to be set back on the path that he has for each one of us. This is also true for your loved ones, who at this moment may not be with the Lord today. I know this weighs on some of you, as you have loved ones who have gone off the Lord's path, and maybe some of them it's because of failure they feel they can't come back from. This message today says there is always a way back. There is always forgiveness. There is always redeeming grace with the Lord. It's true for us and it's true for our loved ones as well. There's a true story told of how on New Year's Day, 1929, Georgia Tech played University of California in the Rose Bowl football game. In that game, a man named Roy Regals recovered a fumble for California. But somehow he became confused in the scramble and he started running 65 yards in the wrong direction. He was headed for the opponent's end zone. One of his teammates named Benny Lom outdistanced him and managed to tackle him just before he scored for the opposing team. When California attempted to punt, the Tech's team blocked the kick and scored a safety, which was the ultimate margin of victory. That strange play came in the first half of the game. And everyone who was watching the game was asking the same question. What will Coach Nibs Price do with Roy Regals in the second half? The men filed off the field and went into the dressing room. They sat down on the benches and on the floor, all but Regals. He went in the corner. He put his blanket around his shoulders, sat down, put his face in his hands and cried like a baby. It's widely known that At this point, coaches will try to rally their team with an inspiring pep talk during halftime. But that day, Coach Price was silent. He was wrestling with what to do. Then, the timekeeper came in and announced there were three minutes before playing time. Finally, Coach Price stood up, looked at the team, and said simply, Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. The players got up and started out for the field, all but Regals. He didn't budge from his place in the corner. The coach looked back and called to him again. Same team, we're heading out to play. Still, Regals didn't move. Coach Price went over to where he sat and said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second. Roy looked back at him. His cheeks were wet with a strong man's tears. Coach, he said, I can't do it to save my life. I've ruined you. I've ruined the university. I've ruined myself. 
I couldn't face that booing crowd in the stadium to save my life. Then Coach Price reached out, put his hand on Roy's shoulder, and said to him, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Roy Regals got up. He went back out. And the opponents on the Tex University team will tell you that they have never, ever seen a man who played as inspired football in that second half as Roy Regals. Now let me ask you, who wouldn't want to play for a coach like that? Who wouldn't be inspired to give their very best effort for a coach who would go out of his way to make sure that a guy who failed so spectacularly in front of a massive crowd of tens of thousands of booing fans would give him another chance. Who wouldn't want to play for a coach like that? Now let me ask you, how much more? Who wouldn't want to follow a savior like Jesus? Who wouldn't want to follow wholeheartedly holding nothing back a Lord like him? Who would go to the cross of Calvary, the ultimate spectacle of shame, the jeering crowds, crucified for us, taking it all. And then not only that, gently, ever so gently, looking at Peter, the one who failed him when he needed him the most, who denied him before a servant girl, and restores him and gives him another opportunity. Who wouldn't be inspired to follow a savior like that to the very end of his life, no matter the cost? Well, I'll tell you who, Simon Peter. Because we see his life from that day forward was never the same. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter went out and he rocked the world. He really did. And church history tells us that he also paid the price. He was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord because he considered it too great of an honor. And as Peter wrote years later in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and master of your souls. Peter knew what he was talking about. He had strayed, but he had returned because of the redeeming grace of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And friends, just as Jesus didn't leave Peter in his failure, and he didn't just let him go back to his old life of fishing either, Jesus will not leave us alone in our failures. He will not leave us alone in our sin. He loves us too much. He paid too great a price to redeem us to just leave us back in the muck and the mire, back just fishing. He's got more for us. So let me just encourage you today that no matter what you've done, even if how, by you, the, the manner in which you've been living, it's as though you've denied even knowing him. That doesn't have to be the end of the story. Jesus is standing on the shore today, and he's calling, and he's inviting you to return. Return and receive forgiveness. Return and restore our friendship. Return and re-enter my service. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you today so much that you don't just give us a second chance. You forgive us entirely. You cleanse us. And more than that, 
you transform us from within. By your redeeming grace, we are not as we were before. For Lord, if it was just up to us to somehow take the second chance in our own strength and run with it, we would fail yet again. But because of you, who is doing this work within us, you change our desires, that they would align with your desires. And more than that, you give us your power to live it out by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, today, if there's anyone here today who recognizes that there's a failure in their past that they have not made made ripe, that they have not brought to you and been released from by the power of the cross, by the power of your blood, I pray that this moment, right now, they would bring it to you and recognize that your forgiveness is not not just for salvation, but, Lord, it is to forgive us entirely, completely of the shame, the guilt, anything that would drag us down, and that by your power, we can re-enter your service fully with a clear conscience and mind, just as Peter did. And so, Father, we pray as well that if there's anyone, and we know that there are loved ones of ours, Lord, who have strayed from you, who are not with you at this moment, we pray as well that by your power and that through our witness, they could hear this great message that with you there is always a way back. There is always a way home. With you there is always grace. And we pray that we would be ambassadors of that grace as well as we go out today. In the power of your name, Lord Jesus, we pray this. Amen.